Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. Uh, let's dive in uh, after I pray. We're going to be in Exodus 33 and 34. Um, and uh, if you haven't read yet, uh, on the app is the reading plan. You can catch up through Exodus uh, to where we are. I won't be reading every word to you from those two chapters today. Uh, I'll be hitting the high points, but uh, you can go back and read it later. All right. So let's pray together and then we're going to dive in. Uh, Father, we love you so much. We thank you just for the privilege it is to gather and to worship your name. And uh, as the song um, said, we just sang, we've got 10,000 reasons more than that to sing of your praises forever. And so, Father, would you just continue to help us to know more of who you are in this place, the attributes of God. Well, let those things fill our mind and our heart. And Father, let us just see you more fully today and so that we can worship you uh, more fully. God, we want you. Above all things, we want you. And so, Father, would you just bless us with your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Exodus 33 and 34, and basically recap from last week, we are, um, so, so uh, you've had the people of God come. They, uh, they, they, God has taken care of them through the desert, giving them food, giving them water. They get to the mountain. He gives them the law. Moses going up and down the mountain several times to hear from God on, on the way he should build a tabernacle, on the way that they should uh, live out their lives with the laws and the commands. And, and he's up there for a long period of time. We saw in, in Exodus 32, he's up there too long. The people grew impatient and they said, okay, we're going to fashion ourselves a God out of gold. And, and they make this golden calf and they begin to worship uh, the, the golden calf. And so, uh, and, 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 Moses comes down the, the, the mountain. He's expressing the anger of God, that God is upset. He's, he, he is what the Bible calls wrath. He has wrath towards sin, basically God's anger uh, towards sin. That's the, the, anytime you see the word wrath in the scriptures or you hear the word wrath used, it's just uh, God's anger towards sin, things unholy, things against who he is, against him, against his nature, right? Now, we know wrath, our own wrath, uh, the difference between God being wrathful and our wrath, our wrath is never holy and rarely justified. But God's wrath is always holy and always justified. When God is wrathful towards sin, uh, it, it, that is what he's wrathful toward. It's towards us um, uh, being rebellious against God, doing things that anger God, doing things against who he is, against his holiness, against his nature. And so scriptures talks about that all of our sin has built up a wrath of God towards us. Uh, and so uh, something has to happen in our lives to deal with that, right? We've got this sin and something has to go on in us to deal with that because otherwise we get the wrath on ourselves, right? And one thing we can know about God is that he does, he hates sin. Doesn't matter how big the sin is or how little the sin is, he hates it. All sin, then and now, 
sin is fa- falling short of his glory, uh, and, and he can't be in the same uh, space as sin. He hates uh, all sin. And we, we see that consistently through the scripture. And so what's going on here is Moses has gone back up the mountain to try to atone for the sins uh, of his people to make, make his people right before God again. He's pleading with God to not kill everybody. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to pick up in Exodus 33. Now I want to read the first six verses of the chapter uh, to you. So let's dive in. Exodus 33 verses 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But listen to this. But I will not go up among you. Lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments uh, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. A couple of things here. We're seeing the glory of God in the value and the worth of the presence of God. When we talk about glory of God, we're really talking about the presence of God, and we see the importance of the presence of God in this moment. Basically, God is saying this. He's saying, I'll give you what you want. I'm going to take care of you. Your enemies will not be enemies to you anymore. I'm going to send an angel ahead of you, and he's going to wipe them out for you. And I'm going to give you the land flowing with milk and honey. All your needs will be taken care of. You will have what you desire physically. But here's the catch. I'm not going with you. I'll give you everything you want, but I'm not going with you. Essentially, God is saying, I'm going to give you my hand. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. But I'm I'm going to keep from you my face, my presence, my glory. I'm not going with you. I'm going to give you my power, but I'm not going to give you my presence. And that's what you have going on here. And and so the question for us today is, would, would we be okay with that? Would we be okay if God said to us, hey, I'm going to take care of all your needs. I'm going to make sure... You know, you have a smooth life, an easy death that you're going you're gonna to be taken care of, well fed, all your needs taken care of, everything that you desire, milk and honey, just I'm taking care of you. But he says, but I'm not going to go with you. Would we be okay with that? I think a lot of times in our culture, we get caught up chasing after the hand of God with neglecting the face of God. We want God to provide for us, and we want him to take care of all our needs, but we don't really want God himself. And I think this is a great uh, passage of Scripture for us to come to the realization of what do we want most? What are we in this for? Are we in it so that we'll get some kind of health or wealth or happiness? Are we in it for God? I think heaven is a great example of this. When you think about heaven, right? Now, 
for sure, I mean, the question, why do you want to go to heaven? For certain, there's going to be good things for us, right? I mean, no more pain, no more sickness, no more suffering. Uh, loved ones, we're going to uh, get glorified bodies, no more sin. There's going to be great benefits. Awesome. Heaven's going to be incredible for us. But if I was to say to you, to us, you can have all the heaven has to offer, but God's not there, would you still want to go? I think we can learn something from the people of Israel here. It's, God is not for us a butler that we call upon to, to meet our needs when we're a little parched. He, he's not just a genie in a bottle that we're saying, okay, I've got this ailment, I've got this issue, I need you now. That he's so much bigger for us if we would tap into the fact that the glory of God, the presence of God is offered us, that that is far greater than all the, 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 the needs taken care of in our life. It's far greater. And so we have to be a people that say, okay, if you, gave, if you gave me all that heaven had to offer, the five-star, all-inclusive resort, but you aren't there, I don't want to go. Because I love you more than those things. I love you more than the idea of no suffering. I love you more than the idea of no pain. I love you more than the idea of health, wealth. I love you, God, more than all of those things. And I think that's what the people of God here are, are realizing. In, in, in Exodus uh, uh, 32, they're, they're, they're understanding that the best thing that they can have is God. And, and the kicker about heaven is you, you don't even go to heaven if you don't want God. This is the thing. It's the glory and the presence of God is the most important th thing for us. And the, the, look, the Israelite people, they're crushed. They heard the news that God's not, not going to go up with them, and they mourn. They take off their jewelry. They're broken. They say, no, we, we don't want that. They weep. God says, man, I'm going to take care of your enemies. And they mourn. Why? Well, I think because they realize that genuine peace isn't found in a world with no enemies. Genuine peace is only found in the Creator. God says, I'm going I'm to meet all your needs. I'm going to give you land flowing with milk and honey. And that didn't satisfy them. Why? Because they knew that the presence of God more than stuff is what will satisfy them. So here's a people that go into mourning. Because the thing that they want most is now being denied to them. Uh, Jesus taught the same thing, Mark 8, 36. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You can have all your needs taken care of. But that's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is for the presence of God. The glory of God. You, you can have the American dream and forfeit your soul. And that's what Jesus taught uh, his people, that our worldly comforts just aren't enough. We need God. We need him. We need his presence. We need all that he has to offer us in himself. Uh, you, you've heard it said, there's an old saying, there's, there's no U-Hauls behind hearses. 
You came in this world naked. You're leaving the same way. You, you, will, you, you were dust of the earth, and dust you will return. The scripture says that you're, not, you're a mist. You're here for a moment and then gone. Uh, it says that, I think Job, it says that you are uh, the, the dew on the morning grass. You're not even here for a moment and then gone. The greatest need we have is the presence of God. I think I, I taught a couple weeks ago the phrase that says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We have these lives given to us. How many ever years you have given to you, whether it be 20 or 90, all of it is short. It doesn't, doesn't matter where you die along this spectrum. It's all a short amount of time. And this life can't be spent on just you being comfortable. It has to be spent on knowing your creator, knowing God, having more and more of him. And we saw that two weeks ago, right? We saw when they were building the tabernacle, that's what God was uh, dealing with. Their greatest need and our greatest need was for the presence of God. That is our greatest need. God has created us to be worshipers. We've talked over the last several weeks. He has put that gap in us that longs to worship God. And without that, we are empty and disappointed. We try to fill it with all kind of other things that are empty and hollow and temporary. And only when we find God, worship Him, have His presence are in his presence are we fulfilled and satisfied that's the only way so if you're in here and you're empty you need God you need the presence of God if you're chasing comforts money relationship status popularity whatever you may be chasing that isn't God you will be empty. You will come to the end of your days disappointed. Uh, let's read. I want to read Moses' response here. Verse 15 through 23. And he said to them, to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses here is pleading with God. He's saying, hey, don't, no, no, no. If you don't go with us, we, we don't want to go. We don't want to go. Moses has gotten to a place where the only contentment that he can have is in, presence, uh, in the presence of God. I think that's a good reminder for us as the people of God. What are you content in? I read that C.S. Lewis quote last week that said, we are far too easily pleased, right? Are we pleased on the things of the world? Or are we 
are we going to be discontent until we find our contentment in Christ? We want to be a people that are content, not temporarily, but for the long haul. We want to be content in God and his presence. We want more and more of him. We want, we want to be uh, in Christ. We want to find who we are in him. That's who we want to be as the people of God, right? Uh, I, but I, I'm afraid that uh, we just don't find our contentment in God. We find it in other things. I, I think this is a message that we could probably preach to ourselves on a weekly basis, that we are, uh, there are all kinds of things clawing for our affection and our attention and our contentment. And we far often, far too often, give it over to those things instead of God. Right? Even our desperation for God oftentimes is a desperation for Him to meet some need, to fix some ailment, to heal somebody, ourselves, or someone we love. It's not really for Him, it's just for Him to do something. And I think the people of God here are realizing, man, if they don't have the presence of God, then they lose everything. They lose everything. That we got to be a people that's more desperate just for the presence of God, more so than we are for him to do something. More so than we are for him to, to, to come and meet our needs. So, so God says to the people, you go up to the land, I'm not going with you. People of Israel had a choice, go up with all the blessing of God or refuse to go and stay in the presence of, of God, even in the desert. Again, Moses says, we're not going without you, Lord. He says, what makes us distinct among the nations? Is it not the thing, is not the thing that makes us distinct you? So basically, it's not that we get everything we want. It's not that we get all that the world has to offer. We're distinct because you are with us. I think this is a great word to us believers. What makes you distinct in, in your world? How are you known? Are you known because of the presence of God is with you? Are you, what makes you distinct in your circles? Is it because you're funny? Life of the party? Is it because you're good at something? Is it because of your wealth or your kids? What makes you distinct? And here the people of God are saying, no, 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 the thing that sets us apart from all other people, the the thing that sets us apart is you, God, your presence going with us. And if we were to go without your presence, we would no longer be a distinct people. We would blend in with the world. We want to be a distinct people distinct people. We want you to go with us, right? And so that's, that's what they continue to say to God. We want your presence over the stuff. And again, what more could we ask for? We, we need the presence of God more than all things. I, I love Jonathan Edwards. He's, a, he's an old, uh, dead preacher, writer, author. And uh, Jonathan Edwards, you may have studied him in school. He's most famous for one sermon. Uh, he's most famous for the sermon titled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and, uh, which is funny to me because uh, if you read any of uh, the rest of Jonathan Edwards' sermon, that sermon is an anomaly to the rest of them. Uh, now, that sermon's intense, and it's a great read if you've ever read it. I mean, it's, uh, it's powerful and strong and should make you contemplate all things about your spirituality, right? Your walk with the Lord. But the rest of his sermons, you know, the, more so than wrath, more so than 
God's anger. Jonathan Edwards preached on uh, God's excellency, his excellence, and his sweetness. I love that. Here's a, here's a preacher that got a rap from one sermon about, oh, he's just one of them angry preachers, one of them angry Puritan preachers. But no, here, the reality is most of his sermons dealt with the excellence and, and, the, and the sweetness of God. People, if you are in fact a believer, the fact that the creator of the world wants relationship with you, that is sweetness. That is excellence for us. That is loving. It's the, the things about God that he wants relationship with us, that he wants to give us his presence, that he, he wants not just for us to be trying to satisfy uh, that worship hole in our bodies with all these temporary things, but he wants to be that for us. He wants to fulfill us and give us abundant life. He wants to be our, our everything. He wants to do that for us. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful and encouraging thing. Now, uh, I think this is important for us because a lot of us, when we come to worship God, we bring a lot of baggage to our worship. A lot of us got daddy issues, and we bring our daddy issues to God, right? Maybe, you know, we think that maybe... God is really an absent father. He's far off. He has nothing to do with us or he's not involved, right? Or maybe he's this di dictator, this disciplinarian, this waiting for us to step out of line when he's going to crack us with a whip. We bring all this baggage to God, right? And we say, oh, I, and it affects our worship. But here's God saying, ah, uh, 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 I'm here and I, I want you to have me. And he gives us scripture and promises. It says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I, I, I'm with you to the end of the age. I love you. I've laid down my life for you. These are huge implications for us in our relationship with God and us wanting more of him. And then you, you have uh, Moses. Then he says to God, show me your glory, which is unique, right? Show me your glory. Moses has seen 10 plagues. Moses saw a burning bush that did not consume. He put his hand in his cloak and brought it out and it's leprous. And he put it back in and it came back normal. Is that not enough, Moses? <laughs> I'd be freaked out, right? His staff turns into a snake. The Nile turns into blood. And, it, and if that doesn't top it off, they're heading towards the Red Sea, guarded by a pillar of smoke and fire, and the sea splits in two. And they walk through on dry ground. God covers the Egyptians with the sea. Even more, he rains down bread from heaven every day. He brings water from a rock. And Moses says, show me your glory. I think Moses realized a couple of things. He wanted more, not just of the stuff, not just of the rescue, but he wanted more of the presence of God. He wanted more of the person, the presence of God. Not just manna, not just water, but he wanted God. And so he's saying, show me your glory. And God's response is, no, you'll die. 
If I do that, there's no hope for you. So here's what I'll do. I'm going to put you in a rock, and as I pass by, I'm going to cover you with my hand, and I'm going to pass by. And when I get past you, I'm going to let you look at my backside, right? And, and then you, you, you can see me going away from you. You can see that part of me and live. Moses content with that. And, and, and as, as God is going to pass by, he's going to tell Moses, basically, he's going to say, and I'm going to speak my name to you, which is Old Testament uh, language for, I'm going to tell you my resume. I'm going to tell you how good I am. I'm going to give you my name, and my name reveals everything about me. And so that's what we're going to pick up in chapter uh, 34, verse 5 through 7. 34, 5 through 7. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Okay, a lot going on here. You're like, what? There's some bipolarness going on here, and I want to explain it to you. Some, there's some huge tension points. First of all, we see God saying how good he is, right? The first thing he comes and he says, hey, I'm gracious. You deserve to die. Every one of your people deserve to die, but you're not going to die. Why? Because of me. I'm merciful. I'm gracious to you. That's what he, that's what he says to him. Basically, God does not give his children the punishment they deserve. Praise God. This is the foundation of Christianity that we realize that through Jesus on the cross, we don't get what we deserve. That's what grace is. And so God says, I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger, right? He, he, he's showing his people unearned favor. I love the next line. He says, he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love. God loves you. He's never going to let you down. He's faithful. He's going to take care of you. Listen, God can give you stuff. He's got all the stuff. He, in his sovereignty, in his power, can meet every need you have. Stop wallowing in self-pity for the things that you don't have. If God wanted to give it to you, if that's what would be best for you, he would give it to you. We have to be a people content with the character and the nature of God, not what we get from him. Do we pray, God, take care of these needs? Absolutely. But what do you want most is the question. God is a provider, no doubt. And when God provides, we praise God. Thank you, God, for providing for us. There's nothing wrong with God providing for us. But what is our contentment found in is the question. Are we discontent if God says, no, you're not getting that job? No, you're not getting that house. No, you're not getting that relationship. Are we okay with that? Okay, God, as long as we have you, we're okay. Is that our heart? I, I think we are so fickle, right, that when we don't get those things, we say, 
God, why? Why would you do this? Why can't I have that? That's not fair that he gets that or she gets that and I, I don't. What is your contentment in? God is gracious and merciful, abounding in love. He's faithful. Our contentment is to be found in him. Now, uh, the last thing here is where the tension comes in. He says uh, that he's forgiving. Now, that's awesome. Uh, But he's mentioning this. Look at this tension again. He says, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? Okay, well, which one is it? Are you forgiving, but you won't clear the guilty? How does that work? How does that balance out, right? Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. As I said at the beginning of this message, God hates sin. God is very serious about sin. God never looks past it. Uh, do you ever have that moment, if you've got kids, you've got this moment, like your kid will say something that's wrong for them to say, but it's just hilarious. Like, you know, you've got to discipline them, but you like, as soon as they say it, you bust out laughing, right? Like it's cute, but you got to say, go, go to your room. Okay, come back, right? That's, it never works that way with God. There is no cute sin with God. There is no cute disobedience with God. God hates all sin. So how does this work? Like we talked, we talked last week about the holiness of God and how that God was completely justified to see 3,000 people slaughtered. And then he follows that up saying, I'm forgiving, but I won't clear the guilty How can a unrighteous people stand before a holy God? God is completely just in exacting punishment. That's the reality. All of us deserve the punishment. And the fact that he withholds it is grace and mercy. It's forgiveness. It's it's him uh, saying, I'm not going to hold your sin against you. So, So we've got this tension Rotten people in the presence of a holy God. And then from verse 10 through 35, there's more of this back and forth. God is basically re-entering a covenant in relationship with his people. He, he says, I'm going to forgive sin and I'm going to destroy sin. I'll go with you now into the promised land. That's what he's saying. And the rest of the Old Testament is the same thing. God forgives sin, God punishes sin. God forgives sin, God punishes sin. There's this continuous balance, right? It's basically, they can't live without God, but they can't live with God because of their sin and God's holiness. It's this crazy, crazy tension. But for the Israelites, the tension is worth it. Can you imagine? God just slaughtered 3,000 people. And the people are still saying, please go with us. Please, God, go with us. And even if you slay 3,000 more, your presence is worth it. That's an understanding of the presence of God that I don't think we quite understand. We 
that we would say that the presence of God is a very dangerous thing. For the, for the Israelites, it was a very dangerous thing. To have God go with them meant that many would probably die, and many more do die at the hands of the judgment of God. But they said, it's worth it. We want your presence. We want you with us. We want to see your glory and be in your presence and see your glory. That's what they wanted. And it's worth it to them. Presence of God, very dangerous. So, so for us today, how does this work out? Well, if you know the gospel, the gospel is that Jesus, for those who believe, has taken that wrath. We obviously have offended the holiness of God. We are unholy people. At birth, we were, the scripture says, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Romans 3 says that there's no one good, no one righteous. There's no good in us. So we, we have, uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're, we're messed up. And we can't dig ourselves out of that hole. And so Jesus going to the cross, for those who believe, the wrath of God that, that should be spent on us because we've offended the holiness of God, we've betrayed him, we've rebelled against him, instead of it falling on us, it falls on the cross. It falls onto Jesus. So for the believer, the wrath of God was poured out onto Christ, onto him. So all of our unholiness, all of our offense, Jesus takes the punishment for. Praise God. That's great news for us. That's the best news. That's the good news. Now, so what's the, what's the deal for us today? Our fight today is to continue to find our value, our identity, our validation, our satisfaction in the presence of God. So often we take the grace and mercy of God for granted. And we say, oh, this sin will be forgiven. <laughs> this is okay. There's grace. There's mercy. We forget how serious God took sin and still takes sin. We we forget and we begin to take advantage of those things. So our fight today is, again, seeking validation and satisfaction in, in the face of the presence of God. We, we're pursuing his presence. We're, we're chasing after him. That's our fight today. That's what we do. How, how do we do that? Uh, I think you do that through uh, spiritual disciplines is a great way to pursue the presence of God through the word of God, through praying, through fasting, through uh, gathering together in corporate worship. These are things you do to pursue uh, the presence of God. Uh, we do it through obedience to Him and His Word. We do it through obedience to the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. These are things that we should be chasing after. These are things that should be number one on our priority list, right? We, we, I don't know about you, I'm a to-do lister, right? I like to-do lists, and I'll say, all right, I gotta pay the electric bill, I gotta feed the dog, I gotta mow again, I gotta do this, 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 right? We prioritize things. Well, at the top of our priority list, at the top of our to-do list should be seek the presence of God, pursue Him, pursue His presence. That should be the top for us as believers. 
we understand and we realize the price that has been paid for us, the wrath that was poured out on Jesus that should have been poured out on us, and now our greatest validation and satisfaction should come in the communion with Christ. And we say, oh, to be in your presence is the best thing. It's the most beneficial thing for me. It's the best thing for me. It's what I want most. That's what we as the people of God, we we should be chasing after Him. We should be pursuing His presence. Uh, If you're not a believer in here, maybe you have been pursuing all uh, other kinds of things. Maybe uh, you've been depending on good deeds uh, to, to win your salvation. You're going to be greatly disappointed. If, you, if we pursue anything else in this life, money, fame, popularity, status, kids, relationships, whatever, if it's not Christ, we're going to come to the end of our life completely empty and disappointed. Entirely disappointed. And if you're not a believer in here and you're basing your salvation on your good works, you're going to get to the end of your life and be eternally disappointed. God does not barter with us. He does not look upon our lives. He's not looking upon our uh, lives and saying, okay, they've been good enough today. I think I'm going to grant them salvation. It's not how it works. That's the point of him being gracious. If we earned our salvation, it would no longer be grace. He gives it to us freely. It's not because you earn it or, or deserve it. He's not sitting up there determining if you've been good enough to bless. That's not how God works. If he's saved you, if he's saving you, if he's moving in your your life, all of that is because of grace and mercy of God. And so we we come to God and, and, uh, and, and we realize the tension. Okay, the wrath of God for our unholiness, but yet the grace and the mercy of God poured out for us in Christ on the cross. I think there's a, a, a statement uh, that sums it up well. Uh, I want to read it to you so I don't mess it up. It says, you are far worse than you think you are, but God loves you far more than you think he does. I think this is, it summarizes the tension between the wrath of God and his grace, that we are far worse than we think we are. We think we're pretty decent people, right? I mean, we pay our taxes, we work, we have a job. We haven't killed many people. Uh, we, you know, uh, we don't listen to, you know, boy bands. We're pretty good people. And uh, Nickelback. And uh, we're, uh, you know, we're decent human beings. Uh, but, but the reality is we're not. We're not decent human beings at all. We're far worse than we think we are. But God loves us far more than we think he does. I think a lot of times we fail to come into the presence of God because we think God is um, still holding grudges against us. When in reality, he has extinguished your sin on the cross. Past, present, and future sin eradicated. Gone. Why? Because God loves you. Because he knows you and he wants you. He wants relationship with you. So 
We're far worse than we think we are, but God loves us far more than we think he does. I want to close with one one scripture, and then we're going to do something a little different. Because I want you to understand, this is that that's the gospel. That is the gospel. We didn't deserve salvation, but he loved us so much he gave it. That's the gospel. It's a stunning reality, but it is the gospel. God heals the broken. God cleans the sinner. And God's presence is the best thing that we could ever have. Best thing that we could pursue. It's the best thing for us. Listen to this, and, and then we're going to move into a, a, a time of reflection. Um, Psalm 27, 4. I want you to hear this. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple all the days of my life. I want to see him. I want to be in his presence. I want to be in Christ. This is when Jesus is talking in John about abiding in him. That outside of him, that we can bear no fruit, but in him, we bear fruit. We have meaning. We have purpose. We find our satisfaction when we abide in Christ, when we, when we pursue his presence, when we chase after him, when we are filled with him. That's where life is. I, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but before I do, after I pray, we're going to enter in just a time of silence. It may be awkward. That's all right. Embrace the awkward. <laughs> I think it'll be a little odd, but I think it's going to be good for us. Last week, we had a time of confession. Uh, confession. This time, I want us to just sit for a moment in the presence of God. Think about his goodness and his mercy, his faithfulness and his grace towards us. And just sit in that moment. I, I want us just to sit in, in the presence, just a moment here. And just to realize who he is as we know him, as we sit in his presence. That's when we find contentment and satisfaction in life. So I'm going to pray and we're going to lead into that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We praise you for all your goodness to us. I pray the same thing as the psalmist, Father, that... We just want to be where you are. We want to be where you are. You are what makes heaven the thing we long after, the thing we want. Because we get to be in the presence of our Savior, our Creator. We want to be in you. In your presence, God. We want to pursue your presence more and more. 
Father, I ask that you would just be with us in this moment to help us to reflect and be in awe of how good and great and mighty and merciful you are, how loving you are towards your people. And help us to continue to realize that we aren't as good as we think we are, but you've loved us far more than we think you do. I pray, Father, that you would just move in such a way in our hearts, produce more intimacy and longing for your presence in us. We want to be a people that know you and that are characterized by your presence. We want to be distinct in the world, not because we wear Christian t-shirts or bracelets, but we want to be distinct in the world because of the presence of God on us. Help us to know you in that way. In Christ's name we pray, amen.